dog carcass in the alley this morning. Tire tread on Burr's stomach. The city's afraid of me. I've seen its true face. The streets are extended gutters, and the gutters are full of blood. And when the drains finally scab over, the vermin will drown. The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up about their waists, and the whores and the politicians will look up and shout, Save us. Fuck you. <laughs> Mute your phone. Welcome to the junk drawer. Joseph Gordon-Levitt sees the tweet <laughs> and replies, watch it again, it's mostly Tom's fault. How's the body? Great body. <laughs> no. The dead body. The dead <laughs> body. I'll give you 20 minutes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, all that you need to do is shoot guns and have sex. Uh, I'd give it an 80%. Oh my That's God. Fine. Here's why. You know the differences between y'all and me? I make this look good. It's finally time to open the junk drawer. Well, welcome to another episode of the Junk Drawer Podcast. We're so excited to have you with us whenever or wherever you're listening to. Uh, tonight or today, I am hosting. I am Cole Brown alongside two other co-hosts known as... I am Mario Arico. Howdy. And I am Bryce Howell. <laughs> you get a check for your name there? Sorry, he had to do a quick IMDb search of his own name. <laughs> if, that's fine. Just let the, you, I'm on IMDb. Let the listeners know I am battling a cold. It's winning. So I might have the sniffles. Mm. And I might sound extra brooding. But that's okay. It's okay. We okay. learned from the Lego movie, too, that brooding is an acquired ability for most people. And that parlays... Is, that's not the right word. And that's the movie we're doing tonight. Yes. Uh, Watchmen, uh, based on the really, really well-loved and famous graphic novel, also known as Watchmen, the graphic novel, written by Alan Moore. Uh, we watched the 2009 movie, and we'll be talking in about it. In 2019, we watched it, though. Yeah, we watched it in more recent time than 2009. Yeah, we didn't go back in time. But to kick it off, we always kind of talk with, uh, at the beginning, with our personal ratings and how we felt like the movie panned for us. Uh, so, Bryce, why don't you start off and tell me a little bit about how you... Wow, I just took a big inhale to start, but thanks. Waste of breath. Go ahead, Bryce. So, this was probably my first time sitting down and watching this whole movie beginning to end, because I didn't see it when it was in theaters, and uh, I had seen it before on like FX or HBO or whatever, but always like picking up in the middle and watching to the end or having to leave. Um, So sitting down and watching it from beginning to end really gives me a feel for like how important it is to select the correct medium for a story. As Cole was saying, Watchmen is like considered the best graphic novel of all time, but as, you're, as I was watching as a movie, I'm like, yeah, this works better as a graphic novel. And the biggest thing is that it seems to drag a lot because there is a thousand things going on, just like there was in the graphic novel. Um, so all that to say that I like it. I think it's good. Using our new Metacritic system of a 50 being a perfectly average movie, I would say that this movie is about a 65. It is an above average movie, but it doesn't totally work because the story doesn't work in a two and a half hour format. All right, Mario. Fair assessment. I um, actually had a different view of it than Bryce. I watched it, and I am actually currently reading the novel, um, so I haven't finished it, so no spoilers. (laughs) That's impossible. Um, Safe to say there's going to be spoilers yes. ahead for anybody watching this podcast. So when I watched the movie in 2009, and when I, the trailer for, for the starters, the trailer is phenomenal. But 
what I realized about this movie, this movie is not for the general movie audience. Not for the general movie-going population. If you watch it as a regular movie fan, you're going to find it weird, bombastic, crude, and disgusting. However, watching it as a fan of Watchmen and a fan of comics, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was, aside from the differences that they had to change from the novel, and I don't know how the novel ends. I know it's different than the movie. But I thought they did a tremendous job of giving you exactly what you expected to get. I think it was one of the best casted movies I've ever seen. Watching the movie and looking back at the artwork and the characters, it, it was unbelievable how they managed to pull off some of the casting. And I think the tone for me was exactly like the graphic novel. I didn't think it dragged because I loved seeing those long scenes that I had just read because I'm reading it simultaneously. I loved seeing that drawn out in a movie format. Because when I first saw it, I think it's like a two-hour, 47-minute runtime. Yeah, that's it's really long. long. Yeah, long it's really long. But actually, part of me was like, they were doing justice. I really think they just made this movie particularly for the fans. Definitely. And I know I'm rambling, but it did not... It cr- horrible in the box office. It crashed horribly. $120 million budget made like 186 worldwide. Yeah. Um, so part of me is like, they knew it wasn't going to do well commercially, but they honored it so much that they gave it the money to do it justice, and they did a good job with what they were able to do. And I think I actually liked Zack Snyder's directing, which I've never liked. Um, so for me, as a fan of the property, Watchmen, I get I give it a ninety percent. Wow, awesome! Yeah, I really like. I said, for me, I honestly think it's rewatchable as well. And I know it's such a long movie, but I love certain parts of it, and they're so like. They grip you in such a way that it's like, oh, I can't get away from the TV. I love this part. It is very rewatchable because Zack Snyder, and I actually usually like Zack Snyder, and because the scenes and the set pieces are so good individually, that each individual scene, if you're just picking it up on TV, you're like, oh man, I love this part. Yeah. It's always at a part that you're going to think, oh, or or this part's about to come up that I like. Yeah. Go ahead, Cole. No, definitely. Um, I think. Both of y'all are all over, I think, some really astute observations. Um, my personal score, I gave it <clears throat> a 78%. Uh, as a quick side note, uh, not that I'm retracting an 80% from Daredevil. <laughs> I just want to get myself out 80% of, for Daredevil? I want to get myself out of the pigeonhole that I potentially placed myself in with my rating of that movie. Because that was a shit movie. <laughs> I think, I'll say this. I'm saying this right now. This is canon. Watchmen is better than Daredevil. 100%. But I'm saying right now that it's a 78%, which is lower than the rating I gave for Daredevil. So, you know, you can adjust for inflation accordingly. You've become more intelligent as we've done more. I don't know that I would I agree with that. Intelligence is the right word. Well, it is. Um, <laughs> but one thing I really Smart thought was, was accurate um, in your description, Mario, and I picked this up from a critic <clears throat> for Newsweek, a guy named Devin Gordon. Uh, and he wrote an article on this movie called The Trouble with Loyalty. Uh, and it's kind of a longer quote, but it really encapsulates exactly what I think is my complaints with the movie versus the book. Um, so he says this. He says, no one who watches Snyder's 160-minute uh, blockbuster could doubt that he is deeply and sincerely in love with the source material. Entire sequences are preserved frame by frame, but is that a good thing? Snyder has appropriated Moore's doomsday themes without any sense of how to animate them. That's the trouble with loyalty. Too little, and you alienate your core fans. Too much, and you lose everyone and everything else. Um, which I think 
definitely happens here. Like the end, the end result of Watchmen the movie feels way more like curated than directed. It feels like he literally just went through the book and said, "Okay, I have to fit all of this into a movie. I can't leave anything out. This is how it has to be done." Even like even like the order by which the scenes were laid out in the movie is identical to the order in which scenes were laid out in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know if that's like a, a good or bad thing. I, ultimately, I think it's a, a worse thing that Big, yeah. he does it that way, but it seems like he's like, I'm just going to make this exactly as the book was made. Do you think made. he was paying homage? Do you think he was doing it out of respect for the novel? Because if you change it to make it more of a movie feel, I, I don't think you can win with this particular property. Yeah, I think my complaint with that, though, is that there's a couple times in the movie where he definitely has Hollywood liberties of making it more cinematic that I think detract from what was true of the story. Um, so kind of getting into that now. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Before we move on out of this section, uh, let's reveal the Metacritic score. So Metacritic, uh, Metacritic, as a reminder to our listeners, Bryce, what does Metacritic represent? So Metacritic uh, rates things uh, from 0 to 100, and it tries to equate every critic's scoring system. So if they go out of 10, a 10 would be a 100, a 0 would be a 0, a 5 would be a 50. But it also incorporates people who do like a 4-star system, so 3 out of 4 stars would be a 75. So that the idea would be that a 50 would be a completely average movie, anything above 50 is a good movie, anything below 50 is a quote bad movie, 100 would be a perfect movie. Um, So what did Metacritic say? So yeah, so we like Metacritic, um, and again, especially just be sensitive in understanding that uh, that 50% represents a perfectly average movie. It's different than a grade school grade. Um, so Metacritic score 56%. So wow. it was slightly above average by that rating system. I would bet, and we could dig into that on Metacritic, but we're not gonna do that because everybody else would be bored. But I bet the standard deviation of that score is all over the place. Like. I bet there's people that gave it like 9 out of 10 and people that gave it like 1 out of 10 just because the range of critics on this particular movie has to be all over the place. Like I said, if you see this as an average moviegoer, you're going to think it's weird. Well, I don't think any critics are average moviegoers. I'm sorry. Um, Someone, from the movie critic standpoint, someone removed from the source material. If you see it as a separate from the comic book, then it's very strange. I remember seeing it as a kid and getting really excited. I remember I had the Rorschach... um, action figure they make in the trailer they portrayed him as almost like a batman style guy mm-hmm. detective and i remember leaving the theater being oh gosh i thought this was going to be an action movie right and it wasn't really that and it was kind of strange um yeah it's definitely not yeah no but and again bryce your assumption there's super accurate i went through metacritic and um just broad brushing here so like scores were either supremely high or supremely low. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's funny, a few of them that I read that were supremely low, I was a little annoyed with because a lot of them had no reference to the graphic novel and they were like saying things like, well, it seems like these are all superheroes that could have saved the world. Why didn't they just save the world? It's like, well, that's not the premise of None of the them novel. are superheroes except yeah. for yeah. Well, <laughs> Dr. Manhattan. One of the issues with the movie also is that the movie portrays, well, we'll, we'll dig into yeah. it more, but yeah. So, now, uh, one of our other sections we kind of move in out of our ratings is kind of a confirmation. Now, hearing Metacritic and talking amongst ourselves, are you sure with your rating? Are we sure collectively with our assumption of this movie? Um, to start, I think mine's a little high. Um, I think I realistically would have thought it would be more in the ballpark of what Cole gave it. Um, but, again, I think it affected me in a positive way because I felt connected to the source material when I was watching it. 
and I really felt like, wow, they really did an effective job from, like, this is what I would have expected. Like, I thought they, I thought it was as, fa- as effective as they could have done it with what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah. I think, I'd just like to point out, I think this is the first time I've won closest to the pen, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Tip the cap to you, Miss Corling Stone. <laughs> but I think what we've been saying a lot reveals the problem with the film is that, yes, movies can be adaptations of graphic novels or novels or whatever, but they also need to be able to stand on their own, and Watchmen doesn't fully stand on its own. I mean, the best example we could think, so this came out in 2009, I believe. Uh, Dark Knight came out the year before. Iron Man came out the year before. Iron Man started the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, basically. And each Marvel film, for the most part, you can watch that movie and never read a comic book and enjoy it. Yeah. And Watchmen doesn't do that. Uh, and that's why I think that, you know, it's all fine to be a borderline shot-for-shot remake of a graphic novel, but it also needs to be a good movie, and it's not totally a good yeah. movie. That's why I think, and again, this is probably this is a movie podcast, right? So it's, was it an effective movie? That's why I think the movie wasn't made for the movie population. Yeah, it was, it was made to be a shot-for-shot remake of the graphic novel. Part of me thinks they either really loved the fans to give that much of a budget to this, knowing it wasn't going to do well, or they took a shot thinking, people will get this. Well, I don't think they knew it wasn't going to do well. I yeah, think they right, thought it yeah. would do well. And I mean, truly, it, it's accurate, it's accurate enough fun. that like you could go watch this movie and then claim that you've read the book. Like, it, yeah. t- Plenty of it is accurate enough that you would be completely passable for having Me? read the book. I yeah. just got convinced to buy it, and I was like, oh, I've seen the movie. And then, for, for the most part, a lot of the movie is the same as the book for yeah. a while, but then mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. So with all that, we, we kind of move into what we kind of call our efficient fix. Uh, you know, what one thing changes this movie the fastest or the most effectively. Um, and so this isn't so much as a section where we talk in really, really broad terms as much as we say like, hey, like maybe swapping this person out for this person or this for that. But what do y'all think is kind of the most efficient fix here? Um, I think, and it kind of goes with a lot of my criticisms, is that you just turn the movie Watchmen into the miniseries Watchmen and you make it 10 or even 12 episodes, because I think the original comic book story is 12 comic books. It is. And you you have a great oh, version of it. Oh, that would be perfect. Um, and that's what it needs, because like I said, like it's just, there's so, you have to tell so much to make this story work. Like, it, it, you can't cut out anything, or you lose a lot of the themes that make the the, the graphic novel work. It's just, it's just like with Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. I had read the book before the show came out, and, you know, at first when it was like, oh, it's going to be a movie, I was like, I don't know if that's going to work. There's so much going on. It's like, oh, it's a 10-episode show? It's like, okay, you can get everything in 10 hours that God, you can't get Could you imagine two. that being a movie? <laughs> right, exactly. Bomb. It's too much. You'd have to cut out too much, and, you don't, and it, you'd lose so much. So anyway, I think my fix is you turn this into a miniseries. I think that's beyond a fix. I think that's perfection. <laughs> every character had, like, their own episode would be perfect. Right. Um, but taking it as a whole, a quick fix... I, I honestly, again, I didn't give it a perfect score, but I don't think any. I would fix anything. I, for what they were trying to accomplish in the amount of time they made it in, like under three hours, I honestly think they did a pretty effective job. Um, and I was telling Bryce, and he thought I was joking the other day. I said, "What makes a good movie to me?" And I was being serious. Is a movie captivates me in a way that. It's more like I can leave seeing the movie thinking about it later on in life. Like, oh man, I really enjoyed the moment I had watching that. Or like, or I obsess over it, right? I watched Watchmen and I had like, oh wow, this is pretty dark and gritty and they get a great message across. 
I don't think I'd fix anything. I'd maybe easy up on the sex scene in the in the uh, Archie in the. Well, owl. the sex scene's definitely yeah. supposed to be weird. So I haven't got. Is that in the book? Because I yes, haven't gotten yes. to it yet. And okay. it's just as awkward. It is so that the version of Hallelujah. Yeah. It's long, and I'm like, I don't remember seeing this as a kid. <laughs> I saw it in theaters. Um, I don't remember it being that long, but I was like, okay, maybe just I don't train an R, maybe cut it in half. It's it's I think it's definitely supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. And because I remember reading the graphic novel and them like having sex, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, Ozzy Man or not Ozzy Manus, Doctor Manhattan's just gonna turn back and like destroy Night Owl. Obviously, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but I knew that wasn't gonna happen now, and I was still like very uncomfortable watching this. No, it's scene. super weird. Like literally, book also does impotence to they then connect later, right. and then same thing happens in the movie. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think my efficient fix, and again, this might maybe this get a little personal. <laughs> I, I go no Zack Snyder. I swap the director out for somebody different. Here's here's my deal. Zack Snyder, my first movie watching experience with him was 300, and I really liked it. I think at the time it was different than anything that had like come out yeah. previous. Mm -hmm. And even in the trailer for Watchmen, it says the visionary director from 300 introducing right. Zack Snyder to this movie. And I still think Watchmen is another like, you know tally in his you know array of movies that is definitely a positive mm -hmm. but from here out i really see a lot of movies i don't enjoy that he directs everything else so he goes from there to man of steel which i didn't really care for and then to truly my second least favorite superhero movie of batman vs superman is also Zack snyder yeah uh and so it's kind of like uh, i think about the office quote when i, I just watched this episode but when Pam says, when Michael Scott Paper Company is failing, and she says, when a child gets behind the wheel of a car and crashes a tree, you don't blame the child. You blame the mother who let him get inside the car and said, drive, kid. Uh, and so part of me is like, who keeps giving Zack Snyder superhero movies? DC. Like, why? Yeah, DC's basically... Well, I mean, so DC basically trusted him with their vision of their movies because, again, I mean, this goes off on a whole tangent, but after the success of Dark Knight... They wanted all of their movies made in the image of Dark Knight. When Watchmen is obviously a DC yes. adjacent property, DC owns it, and Zack Snyder can do that vision. He can do that version. I do think he is a good director for this movie because it's so dark and gritty, and that's his style. But I think that it doesn't. I mean, for me personally, I love Superman. I don't think it works for Superman at all. And then unfortunately, he's had some family tragedy come up recently that has separated him from doing Justice League, which people want his version of Justice League now. Um, but yeah, I, I think he has a very, very distinctive style that either works, a la 300, or does not work. Yeah, yeah I, I think ultimately he just exists as kind of maybe a polarizing director where there's mm -hmm. people who, similar to the Metacritic scores, people who really, really like him or people who really, really don't like him. And again, I think... On the whole, there's still plenty of stuff I love about him. I think on my, the whole, preparation <laughs> does feel good. good. Uh, but I think my swap out would would be Quentin Tarantino. I think he also does Whoa. the the gritty and like nonlinear nonlinear storytelling really really well. Yeah, you think he um, could handle this genre? And then I think he could. And here and then my other complaint with Zack Snyder, and we'll kind of get into this in our next section as well, um, is so much of his slow mo over like overemphasizes their abilities as superheroes because in truth nine out of ten of those superheroes are just human beings who are fighting crime with really superior 
in shapeness. They're right. just regular people. But in slow-mo, everything looks like it's extra powerful. And like when I watch, because I watched the movie way before I watched the book, I only read the book uh, a few weeks or a week ago. Um, and also when I read the book, I was like, oh my gosh, none of them are, have superpowers. They're all right. just people. Uh, so that was like another kind of issue for me with Zack Snyder. I was like, when you do that much slow-mo, everybody looks like they're super powered. The only problem is I think Quentin Tarantino for sure thinks Rorschach is the good guy in this. Yeah. He's like, man, if everybody's more like Rorschach, everything would be okay. Be seen as a good guy. Uh, Rorschach's quotes are pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, but he. <laughs> yeah, by the way, we opened with a Rorschach quote. That's I what actually, he says in the opening of the movie. I actually book. disagree with you. I, I actually think in this case, I usually hate that slow mo crap from Schneider. I liked it in this movie because it was a way for him to show the difference between them and an average everyday person. Right. And it was a, a movie way of showing. The action that I enjoy that I don't get from the comics because they don't move. I, I agree. I think I would just I would rather see it in two of the scenes and not twenty of the scenes. Okay. Like I love it in the comedian fight in the beginning. I love it in um, the original Night Owl fight when the knots come in his house and he gets like flashbacks to yeah, how he was. That's really, that's cool really, really well done there. But I think it doesn't need to be like every fight scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You're selling this movie to a friend. You're saying you need to go watch Watchmen, and to get them interested, you're going to show them a scene. What scene sells this movie? Well, for me, I think it would be <clears throat> the opening crawl, if you will, the whole opening scene. Times um, are changing. Times are changing. Music's really good in this movie. Also. Yeah, the movie, the music's really good. Um, but I <laughs> music's good. I would draw it out up through when a comedian gets thrown through the window, um, mm-hmm. and you hear. Do you hear Rorschach at that point? Rorschach comes later yeah. and investigates and starts I, talking. I think that's one of the great best scenes. I, my only hang up on it is Rorschach's not in it, and I think you need him to sell the movie. Um, so I have another scene. It's when he's walking to go pay respects to the comedian, and he's like, there's like scenes going on. They're all reminiscing of like comedian in the past, and he goes, heard a joke once. Man goes to doctor, says he's depressed, life seems harsh and cruel. Doctor says, treatment is simple, the great clown Pagliacci is in town tonight, go and see him, that should pick you up. Man bursts into tears, but doctor, he says, I am Pagliacci, good joke, everybody laugh, roll on snare drum, curtains, and then, like, you just see him drop, and, like, that was such a cool scene, it's so dark. Um, I think I would show, I, those two I would show. Yeah, definitely. I think I really struggled with this answer this time, and I think it's due to the comment Bryce made earlier of like, perhaps the fix is to make this a miniseries, that there's not, there's no one scene that really, I think, stands out beyond the rest that I'm like, oh, this is the scene that sells the whole thing, because again, it's, it's so shot for shot from the book that it's hard to pick out that one scene. Uh, but I do think, for me, the, the scene I would probably show, and it would be major spoilers, but I think the selling scene would be the ending, um, where uh, Osman Diaz's plan comes to fruition, and Manhattan and him have a conversation, and I'm not trying to, I'm trying to rescue Mario from knowing any of the details in that situation, <laughs> but that explains kind of the biggest picture of what the book is also trying to accomplish that I think it gives an accurate understanding of what the movie's about. Yeah, I think for me, just because it sells the action part of the movie and also gives you a, 
a truer peek into who Rorschach is. Because like Mario mentioned, like if you just watch the advertisements, you think Rorschach is a hero and you think that he's Batman, like Mario said. And you're like, man, this guy's awesome. And then you watch the movie, you're like, this, this guy's the bad guy, I think. Obviously, he's not. The whole thing is that all the characters are morally gray. But the scenes where Rorschach is in prison, uh, especially the two scenes where he is with the, uh, I guess, psychiatrist doing the Rorschach test, which is kind of fun. And uh, when he is beating the crap out of the guys in the lunchroom, um, you get to see like him as like true anti-hero. He's it, an anti-hero. Even anti-hero is a bit strong because a lot of what he says when you get his internal monologues and his journal entry are incredibly bad things to say. Yeah, but he does bad things to bad people. It doesn't make him any better than most people doing bad things to innocents, but at least he doesn't do it to... He just takes the law into his own hands in the most extreme way. Yeah, he says, you know, justice has to be taken out even in the face of Armageddon. Right. Or he says, or I think similarly he says, no compromise even in the face of Armageddon. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, you know, being uncompromised, and it's all Alan Moore's whole idea of what, you know, heroes are. He's deconstructing heroes in this uh, graphic novel and then also in the movie by extension. And... <clears throat> That's what we say. We say we want heroes who won't compromise. But when you think about that, you're like, no compromise ever, any time, for any reason? Like, obviously, you wouldn't say. Like, if you never compromise, you'll never have a relationship with a person because you'll always just take and get exactly what you want. And so, yeah, exactly. You think Rorschach for sure thinks he's the good guy, and that's why he's interesting. But, you know, obviously, he is definitely not a hero by any definition of that word. Yeah, that, that jail stuff with Rorschach is awesome. I love his back and forth with the mob boss, where he just keeps making the short jokes. Yeah. Oh, he's such a cool head of himself. Very good I, I just yeah. like the scene, um, and it, it shows the moral ambiguity that he has when he realizes he used to be softer on criminals. And Rorschach's whole thing is, he's like, we're facing the end of time. We're all going to be dead anyway. He's very morbid, right? He's like, we're all, what's the point of existence? No one deserves to live for what? You know, for the fat to get fatter and the rich to get richer. The story about him, and it's so disgusting compared to the book. He murders that guy, killed the little girl, the dogs, ate the mm-hmm. little girl. In the movie, he takes like a cleaver to his head and they show it repeatedly. A lot of times. Which was tough to watch. In the book, he just lights him on fire, um, which I think would have been, I don't think that's more senile i think taking the cleaver to his head but um in if you're thinking about it, like this guy's so bad it's almost like your animal instinct and every time he gets an animal urge he has to act on it mm-hmm. he's crazy but he's sane like he has these crazy urges but he projects himself as a sane person right he doesn't think he's crazy yeah, yeah. and he does it so effectively that he right. He apologizes one time in the entire movie. And does he apologizes he? to Night Owl and in the book he apologizes. Oh yeah, yeah. But Night Owl's like, "You're an asshole," and he's yeah. like, "He thinks okay, it's I get all it. everything he thinks he's doing is justified." Yeah, right. Um, so, with and it, my caveat here is we have to avoid getting too pretentious in this section. Right? <laughs> uh, a common phrase in a lot of uh, movies that are based from books is that the book was better, uh, and while I have found that often to be the case. Uh, without getting too deep into the woods of just literary is king, what about this stuck out to you? If you disagree with that, that's totally cool too. But let's talk about the differences that we found or complaints we have between Alan Moore's and Zack Snyder's Watchmen. So I am the ultimate the book was better person. I love reading. I always, almost always prefer the book, with very few exceptions. 
Um, and like we've mentioned before, this does an excellent job of uh, <clears throat> recreating Alan Moore's Watchmen. But like I said, it's in a two and a half hours and that seems so long as you're watching it, but when you consider the plot, it doesn't seem long enough. Um, so I've already talked about how I think it should be a miniseries. And in addition, just one thing that um, books are able to do better than movies across the board is they can be more subtle and nuanced, like Mario mentioned with the very graphic scenes that we see. Like it has to say in certain scenes, hey, this is a very gritty vision of Earth. Look at us, blood coming everywhere. It's like, okay, all right, we get it. Um, and so it can't like slow boil that because it's a movie and it doesn't have enough time. Um, can I get into the casting question on this part of it? Or do you want me to leave? Let me, let me okay. go through one thing and we'll get right into that. So I'm, I'm far different than Bryce in that. So like I by no means claim to be well read. I do enjoy reading when I read. Um, but I do have found, like I said, on a number of occasions that the book always adds way more detail than a movie. And that makes sense, obviously, because a movie is, can't be that long. Um, but just for me personally, and it all comes down to what people like on their individual preferences, I love the detail. I love getting to know characters in a way longer process, getting to know them on a way more intimate level, and that always happens in a book. Um, and so like one of my complaints before we get into just kind of the castings from book to movie is even just scenes, so this is one of the examples I have of Zack Snyder where it's a little more cinematic than it was actually in the book. But in an early scene where Rorschach is investigating um, the comedian's apartment, he is up on the windowsill and a police officer sees him, draws his weapon and fires at him and he doesn't move. And then the scene cuts back to the police officer and he's kind of like looking at the window strangely and he goes back to the window and he's just not there. So like, and it's like a span of like 10 feet from the cop to the window. And the way it's shot makes it look like Rorschach is invincible to bullets. And it's like really, really weird. Uh, I thought it was like, that one was kind of strange to me. And so, um, I think that just gets at in general what you're talking about is that the movie, like you said, portrays all of the characters as, as superheroes. And they are called superheroes in both the movie and the book. But it's very clear that Rorschach, Ozymandias, uh, Night Owl, Silk Spectre are not super. They're regular people who are very skilled martial artists. I mean, Night Owl is Batman and Jace, but like there are no superpowers here. I actually think the book does a better job of playing down that they're not superheroes. I think they say the word superhero in the movie. They, like they call them so. Oh, we were superheroes. I think in the book they call them costumed vigilantes most right. of the time, and they like. I think it's one of the Hollis. Um, inserts that mentions how they weren't the only one super was Dr. Manhattan like he yeah. was a superhuman the superman amongst men right, right. he um, made the rest of us obsolete when he showed up yeah and I think the only one that the movie kind of takes to a next level and in the book they talked about how Ozymandias how do you guys pronounce it? Ozymandias yeah Ozymandias is um, super fast fastest guy in the book I had the interpretation of him through what I saw in the movie. So I don't know if he was supposed to be the fast, but in the movie they make him seem like almost like the Flash. Right. When the guy's shooting in the lobby, he's like, he moved, you know. Yeah, he, yeah but yeah. he does catch the bullet at the end of the movie. Yeah. Which is that in the book. I don't but, know, I yeah. haven't gotten there. So, yes, and but it's like, it's supposed to be that, oh, he did do this superhuman feat, and that's like the first time you see anybody besides Dr. Manhattan do anything superhuman. So yeah, he's super quick and super strong. But like you said, he looks like the Flash in the movie 
and that's a bit too much for it. Because then it goes to that review you're saying, if, if he's that strong and powerful, why doesn't he just save the world himself? Right. He's, you know, he's 50% of what Dr. Manhattan is. No. And so then, yeah, so again, so for me, one of the coolest things that happens too when reading the book is that opening crawl that Mari likes so much becomes so much more impactful because you know every scene that's happening because you read it. So you know who these random heroes are that are killed in some of the scenes, like Dollar Bill, and like you recognize yeah, some, yeah. some of the, those little elements, and like you mm-hmm. see. Uh, is his name the Moth or Mothman? Mothman. Yeah, you see Mothman Taken getting away. carried off to a sane asylum, and like you remember that happening in the book. So the crawl becomes a lot more impactful. But moving kind of from this, not this section, but kind of steering into this territory now, the book was better. So characters in the book, as now portrayed on screen, what did y'all love yeah. or hate about the characters as they kind of got to see him live? I touched briefly on this in my review early on, but I thought the casting was absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's tough to choose the best. I think um, Jackie Early or Jackie Haley as Rorschach was outstanding. And at, when I just got to the part in the book when they revealed his face and he looked a little different than the character, I was actually like, "Oh, I wish they made him look more like the actor," which is impossible because the book came first. Um, he loved the, the work so much that he campaigned for that role. Right. Um, so I thought that was cool. Patrick Wilson. I'm not a huge fan of him. I thought this was his best role ever. I see him as um, Night Owl when I read the book. I think he's phenomenal. Um, But Jeffrey Dean Morgan as um, Edward Blake, yeah, comedian, is just scary, scary close to how the character looks in the the graphic novel. And, oh, it's it's like the perfect... He was like born to play that role. Um, and I read that he didn't even want to take it because he thought it was a he thought it was a cameo, hmm. and he took a meeting with Zack Snyder and he was kind of a grumpy guy and Snyder loved him right away. Um, that was yeah, and even Malin Ackerman as Lori, she was great as well. Um, I think my worst cast would have been Matthew Good as Ozymandias. I think he was good. I, I liked him a lot, but if I had to choose one, he doesn't really fit the description of the guy or look like him that much of the novel. Um, that hair they have on him. It sometimes looks like a wig, um, and <laughs> yeah. his physique, I can't tell if he's buff or if he's like really skinny and then just wearing a buff suit. That right. one. Yeah. <laughs> it's that one. <laughs> he's got like the tall neck. <laughs> no, I think it's funny. Does uh, he have an accent? Almost, <laughs> almost name for name, our opinions are the same except for one of them. But yeah, I thought Jackie Haley as Rorschach was awesome. <laughs> Jeffrey Morgan was, was absolutely perfect as comedian. Um, and then, yeah, I thought my worst castings were Matthew Godas as Adrian Vate. Um, and I agree completely because in the book, he's also like the supreme physical specimen of man. Like he's, he's absolutely an Adonis. Yeah. Like, he's a Greek tr- guy. Yeah, exactly. They compare yeah. him to that. Um, and so there's scenes where he's like in a suit in the movie and he looks like he's really thin and skinny, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. But then he'll put on his superhero suit and then he's like jacked. Yeah. And so I think he, he definitely hits the side of Ozymandias, Ozymandias uh, of being like super intellectual. Oh, yeah. That was he does the intellectual scenes really, really well. great, but he, he fails, I think, at the physical scenes. And my only one that was different than you is I thought original Silk Spectre, who's paid, played by... You don't like her? Carly Gugino. Uh, in the movie, like so in reality, she's only seven years older than the actress yeah. who plays her daughter in the movie. And so I think in the book, I really like her being super old. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of weird to see her so young. They're trying gets, to age her a little bit, but they're trying to make her look like she's still physically G- desirable. Because that's Gino. the yeah. whole thing that they want. Like she plays herself in her own flashback, right. which, you know, she, she's a beautiful woman. It's kind of a little she's bit. It's kind of. Schmidt's boss. It's a little bit like Marissa Tomei as Ant-Man. Ant-Man. It's, yeah. like, uh. <laughs> it's Vinny Chase's agent in one of the seasons of Entourage. And he sleeps with her and she's like so desirable. But yeah, it's Gugino. She's Italian. Racist. <laughs> Um, I don't know how that was racist. Because he, he hates Italians. He said it. His words, not mine. <laughs> he just mispronounced her name. Uh, yeah, not to pile on, but the Osmandius uh, casting is the one that sticks out the most because the rest of the casting's so good. Fun little tidbit, and I know we're going to get into that section fully in a second, but um, originally Zack Snyder wanted Jude Law to play Ozymandias, and Jude Law wanted to play Ozymandias, and then Zack Snyder saw Matthew Good and was like, no, I think he looks better, which... At this point, is so egregious as Jude Law is such a well-regarded actor. I think would have looked a lot better buffed up. Obviously. Oh, he would have killed. So anyway, fun little fun little tidbit. Does Jude Law fit in this movie though? Yeah, the type of actor he is, he's almost like too big. I feel he like... wasn't then. Yeah, I guess right. Well, I guess he was actually. Yeah, two thousand nine, he was in the Sherlock Holmes movies. He was pretty well known. Alan Ackerman's a pretty well-known actor. Like, do you think you could have looked at him and and no and not seen Jude Law? I mean, I see Patrick Wilson every time Night and Owl's oh, on really? screen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I also thought maybe, while I haven't loved a lot of his movies, I've loved some of his stuff, but I thought uh, Henry Cable would have done a good job with being uh, Osmond Deus. Superman. Superman. Um, <clears throat> so, kind of getting out of the, the section of the book was better, uh, which the book was better. <laughs> <laughs> the book is just so freaking great. It is so freaking great. Oh, my great. God. Uh, we'll get into our tidbits section. This is a section where we Tidly reserve bits. for uh, internet research. And this week's tidbits is sponsored by Circuit City. Uh, so thank you, Circuit City, for um, City. funding this episode. Uh, but yeah, so what did y'all find in uncovering more from Watchmen the movie? Yeah. So I just thought it was fun because this movie was stuck in development hell for so long that you know they wanted to make it a movie pretty much from the time it was written in the 80s. Uh, it is couldn't make it happen for all the reasons that we've said. Uh, so it's God, fun. You, could you imagine this as an 80s movie? Oh, it's fun to look so at bad. who was attached. So Terry Gilliam was attached to it at one point. Uh, Monty Python guy, but he's been a pretty big shot director. And he left the project saying the comic is unfilmable, which is fascinating. Other people that were later attached. Uh, Michael Bay mm, <laughs> would have oh been something God. else. Um, Darren Aronofsky. I don't know if I'm saying that yeah, correctly. But... Would have been a very interesting take because yeah. his movies are very dark as well. Uh, Tim Burton one expressed interest at one point. <laughs> Too weird. <laughs> um, it would have been like claymation. So as it, as it went through the development, how all these people becoming attached and unattached, it was fun to kind of read and, and think about what those movies yeah. would look like. I, I do think Zack Snyder was the correct person. I mean, again, I, I don't think I've ever said that, but yeah, I think he would have been the best choice. I mean, Darren Aronofsky could have been very good as well. But what, what else has Aronofsky done? Darren Aronofsky has done Requiem for a Dream uh, and The Wrestler, which is a movie I love, and Black Swan. I didn't mm. see any of those. There's lots of good movies. Another all highly regarded. He's, yeah, he's got a um, pretty high talent record I there. Drops of my tiddly bits earlier throughout the pod, but um, what I found really interesting was the trailer, in which I just rewatched right before we started, which is phenomenal. Um, through the trailer alone, they premiered the trailer at the Dark Knight. Yep. For the Dark Knight, it brought the book back on the bestsellers list. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. Um, the first time I had ever heard about it, and I remember people telling me, "Oh, it's, it's a gra- it's a graphic novel," 
which I was like, oh, was that mainly words? Like, no, it's really just a long comic. I was like, oh, should have read it then, didn't do it, getting it to read it now. Hopefully not spoiled by the end of this, completely. <laughs> yeah, we still have time to spoil it for him. Um, yeah, for me, I think one of the things that, you know, maybe this isn't so <laughs> mind-blowing of a tidbit, but as I went through the cast of this movie, I recognized very few names. And that's more of a comment maybe on just my lack of pop culture knowledge. But as I began to look at their, you know, associated roles in other movies and other shows, um, one of the things I found is that a lot of these actors and actresses in this movie are really notably known uh, for being in really prominent shows that I haven't watched either. So like Fargo uh, and Downton Abbey um, are some of their like really known for roles. And so I know they're like great actors. I think for me, it's kind of exciting to see the cast and not really recognize really anybody. Who was in Fargo? Um, uh, Night Owl, what's his name? Patrick, Patrick Wilson. Wilson? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, who is in uh, was he? Who is in Downtown Downtown Abbey? Osmond Diaz. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool to me. Uh, and then one like definitely nerd factoid tidbit that uh, I can't take credit for, but read it and thought it was awesome. Uh, in that opening crawl, when they show all the highlights and scenes, um, one of the ones that the, one of the things that the movie does or book does just on a this is a spoiler. This is not a spoiler for Mario, but. Spoiler is uh, that the United States wins the Vietnam War yeah. handily uh, through Dr. Manhattan showing up and doing it. Um, and so a lot of this movie or this book is an alternate, alternate history to what is true of actual world history. Uh, and so one of the things that is true in the sense of altered history, uh, in the opening scene, uh, there's the original Night Owl. He is punching out a gunned, masked man. And in the background, you see two people leaving a theater. And then the posters all on the walls around that theater have Gotham and Batman. Oh, and yeah, I remember that. On it. Uh, and so that's supposed to be that he's saved Thomas and Martha Wayne. And that's why there is no Batman in that universe. Because huh. there's no need for Batman because he saved his parents from being killed. You read that? Yeah. Is that true? Because I thought in the, in the novel, at least, those properties exist as comic books. So I don't they know. They reference Superman and the kid, and one of the guys references like the the comic books. Yeah, I don't know if it's both true in the book or true. It's certainly in the movie, that was the impression that Snyder was trying to give: is uh, that you know Batman doesn't need to exist in this world. Geez, that's and I think cool. that's you know also just in light of this, this got previewed and released right after The Dark Knight. So yeah, it's kind of a cool, not a dig, almost kind of like a yeah. connection point for yeah. hey, this is what would have happened if Batman that's didn't cool. have to happen. So that was really cool to see someone pick that up. Uh, this is a really convoluted section, but I'm calling it Who Watches the Watchmen? <laughs> we did. We watched it. We watched it. Um, and it's kind of in this, this comment of altered history. Uh, and so what stuck out to y'all is like, dear Lord, not maybe uh, as a point of attention, but it's like a holy cow. What if it had gone that way? Or that's interesting that they took that approach. Yeah. So think about things from the opening crawl scene. Think about elements throughout the movie uh, where they took liberties and said, oh, here's actually how history went in this context. The opening crawl scene, real quick, was the character, she was one of the female heroes early on who, like, grabs the nurse and kisses her and then she ends up getting killed. Was she in the novel? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, I didn't remember her. She's one of the Minutemen, which is the original six yeah. heroes. She's killed, presumably, out of homophobia because she's a lesbian. Yeah. Yep. Minutemen, uh, and they changed the name to the Watchmen for the new The movie. second team. Yeah. It's called... The Watchmen. Yeah. The original team was called the Men, and yeah. the second team was called the Watchmen. So, like, sure that literally, one of the this is not my my answer for this, but as an example, so hopefully I'm not stealing y'all's example right here. 
But in the opening scene, it shows JFK being assassinated, but then the camera pulls over and you see it's the comedian yeah. who took the shot. Yeah, that was right. tough to watch. Yeah. yeah. I was like, ah. Uh, so, yeah, that's... Is that I mean, a novel as well? I can't remember. And he's super... And then it gives some weird impressions there because he's super in, connected with Nixon right. uh, as well, he's hired to be governor. So that, that was going to be my... Not, Sorry. Not, not that scene. Okay. But so it basically alleges that because of the Watchmen specifically and more specifically the comedian that this kind of like right-wing borderline fascism has taken over the American government headed up by Nixon who is at the point of the movie in his fifth term as president for yeah, uh, yeah fourth or fifth term yeah, yeah. change the constitution yeah. um and so uh and the comedian makes a comment about like this is the most fun i've had since woodward and bernstein or something kind of implying that he murdered the journalist who uncovered yeah. watergate and all that stuff is is fascinating to me that idea uh and alan moore super uh he has a very weird set of beliefs um but one of his consistent criticisms in his novels and graphic novels is fascism specifically in v for vendetta very heavily criticized kind of adjacent criticized through watchmen um, and so it's kind of interesting to see that version of things. Uh, that was my thing. The, the idea of Nixon having four or five, because Nixon was reelected for a second term with almost 100% of the electoral college. And, uh, he <laughs> lost like two states or something ridiculous. Uh, and then Watergate obviously occurred. Um, <clears throat> so that, that was fascinating to me. That's my little nerd tangent. Yeah, mine was Nixon having being in his like fourth term. Um, thought the action play Nixon was pretty good for Nixon. Um, the other one was Manhattan defeating Vietnam. It was yeah. funny, ironically, even though we technically won Vietnam. Did we? No, in the movie. Oh, gotcha. We won it. Um, I thought you were saying we didn't realize. No, I was like, it was ah. an war. <laughs> even though we, this is in the movie, it's a war in which we won. Right. Things didn't turn out for the better. You could argue that it yeah. created, a, like you said, a like uber-fascism uh, ideology in America that it just kind of... Well, and obviously Dr. Manhattan is kind of a parallel for nuclear war in general. Um, but the idea that having this Dr. Manhattan didn't make the Cold War better, and of course that's Alan Moore's, Alan Moore's yeah. point, it makes it worse. Like Russians are, the Soviet Union is more ready to attack. They're just scared to attack because Dr. Manhattan, as soon as he disappears, they're like, all right, let's go. We're throwing hands now. And so that's kind of interesting as well. Let's tangent real quick, but we haven't really talked about Dr. Manhattan. Did you guys like Billy Cudrip as the cast? He's just the voice. Yeah, essentially. But is that the body? Well, I think he does the face yeah. of the CGI. Does I'm not he? I'm 100% sure. I know the body is like a body fitness guy. Yeah. Um, I thought he was perfect from the com The way they created him in the movie is like perfect for the comic. Yeah, he definitely nails indifference. I thought the... And then, like, this hints of emotion when he, yeah. like, gets connected. Yeah. I remember watching how he becomes Dexter Manhattan and being terrified as a kid. Just, like, fascinated mm -hmm. and terrified. Like, oh, my God. So It's, like, such kind of a creepy thing how it happens. Yeah. It's short. In the book, mm -hmm. it's so long. Right. And I thought it was long in the movie, um, but it's not. Yeah, um, it's just a few minutes. Yeah. Gosh, the book is... So Sorry. The book is so good. <laughs> you, should go um, you should go read you the should book. pod the book. Pod the book. Um... No, I agree. I think the Nixon fifth term is, is insane. Uh, the Vietnam War winning is incredible, uh, like, uh, choice there. Um, but my question, too, kind of with this, of what, what would be the difference or what would happen now, is do y'all think Watchmen, what would it look like in set in 2019? So here's part of a comment that Bryce made earlier is that this was a movie that was long in the process of wanting or desired to be made. So this book... 
was released, or it was released as chapters or whatever sections in 86, and then it was published as a completed book in 87. And at that time period, it's written about the time period it was in. It was written about the height of the Cold War. It's written and set in 1985. So it's, you know, it's true to the time period, written for the time period. And I think part of the complaints is that when you're almost kind of stepping back in time watching the movie about the 80s in a lot of ways, there's parts of it that should seem really, really impactful or important or like, you know, tension building and they just don't. But all of that to say, how do y'all think this would fare in 2019? Do you think Watchmen could be set in our current demographic, current day and age, you know, potentially getting a little too real here with yeah, with <laughs> current regime and whatnot? You can have your own opinion there, but do you think it would have done better if it was almost kind of set in again our time period as it was written in their time period yeah. back then? Does that make sense? Um, mind if I take this? Price? Go for it. Um, I think it's most effective in the 80s. I think you need the the missile, the Cold War, and the missile crisis. You can maybe deal with the Cuban Missile Crisis, but that that tension of we're on the brink of world destruction. It's happening. There's a doomsday clock that fits perfectly. I think you could accentuate some of the problems or issues going on, maybe with what's happening in Iran right now. Um, but I think putting it in the '80s is so effective and really gets the message across and that tone of what's going on in the world kind of that kind of informs all the characters mindsets like everything they think about is in on the back burner because tomorrow the world could end so i think it's most effective in the 80s i don't really see it working today unless it's an altered timeline so i know the hbo show i just found out is being set in modern day which i was a little upset about um, but we'll see. I know in the '80s version, it's a it's a little bit of advanced '80s. The technology right. is more advanced because of Ozymandias, essentially, and Manhattan. Did Manhattan, from Manhattan. So I'd love to see how more advanced. If they're doing a TV show based in reality, that means Doctor Manhattan exists. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I think just one thing because this is something that I saw as a criticism of the film was that the like Mario mentioned the '80s fears of the persistent fear of nuclear holocaust that was very high in the 80s was not high in 2009. But I do think it's kind of interesting that a lot of the fears of the 80s have kind of popped back up. Obviously, there has been some more threats of nuclear things. We had the threat to Hawaii where the they accidentally triggered the emergency system. Uh, and so I think some of those fears are more relevant. And, and even being set in the 80s, this is kind of tangential to your question, it might work better being released in 2019 when a lot of those fears are more realized to the general populace than they were in 2009. Right, like there's almost, it's it's a way of being somewhat subtle and poking at some tensions and issues in the current generation yep. by releasing it out. Uh, not giving too much hype to it, but kind of similar <laughs> to Starship Troopers. Starship That's a commentary Troopers. On, uh, on political radi- radical. Starship Troopers is really the opposite of Watchmen in that the movie is more interesting than the book. And... <laughs> Uh, that's all I'll say. So, uh, we always end with asking ourselves uh, that, based on the name of our podcast, does this belong in the junk drawer? Uh, we've called that a number of things, um, but its origin is the movie bin that exists at your local supermarket, Walmart, Target, uh, where you can grab a movie for $5 or less. 
so does this belong in the junk drawer? Why does it belong in the junk drawer? Um, I can see it being in there because of it, how dated it is now. It's 10 years. I don't think it belongs in there at, in it, by any means, though. I think it's too... And don't hit me for this. I think it's too artistic because the movie, the, the graphic novel is a work of art. I think it it represents the graphic novel. It's rewatchable for me, maybe for you guys, because we like the graphic novel, but it's not a movie you'd grab and throw on with your friends. You wouldn't watch it on, on a date. Like, it's just not something... It's not enjoyable. It doesn't bring you any enjoyment. It brings you enjoyment in a different sense if you like the novel and like comic book lore, if you will. So for those reasons, I don't see, I don't think it fits in the junk drawer at all. I feel like a failed adaptation of a beloved IP is exactly what belongs in the junk drawer, <laughs> which is why I watch. My answer would be yes. Yeah, my answer is yes, basically for the same reason. Mario opened up with the stats of how well it grossed and by that, how poorly it grossed uh, in sales and box office. Um, so because of that, I think it does end up in the junk drawer because people are like, well, it definitely didn't do good in the movies. Let's salvage some money from yeah. it now. How, how about this, though? Would it be a movie that gets picked over, or would people actually buy it in the junk drawer? I don't know. I mean, like Again, I think I like this movie, but I, I yeah. can't picture somebody being excited to go pick out the Watchmen from yeah. the bin and go, I'm, I can't wait to watch Watchmen tonight. Yeah. Like when I found Creed in the bargain bin at Walmart, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe Creed is in the $5 bin. Which and one's I, Creed? The movie Creed. With uh, Keanu Michael Reeves? B. Jordan? No, oh, the, Creed. I was thinking of um, Constantine. No. So when I saw Creed in the bargain bin. Yeah, in under the $5. Drawer, and it was in the $5 bin. I was like, oh my gosh. And I had, like, it didn't matter why I was in Walmart. I don't even remember. I was like, I have, I'm taking this home with me. And if I saw Watchmen, I'd be like, eh, I'm okay. And I, get, I, I agree. I think my one kind of counterpoint to that of what I think is unique and awesome with Watchmen is while I love, and I, I think Bryce has a similar opinion to this, don't let me paint you in a corner here, that I will watch a superhero movie for as long as you continue to make them, whoever you are making superhero movies for me. But they definitely have developed somewhat of a common thread of how they're set up with uh, lighthearted jokes mixed in, uh, big points of climax and tension, uh, and that this movie does kind of none of that, and, I, and I'm okay with that. So, like, there's not a point where they ever come up for air in Watchmen to make a joke. Mm -hmm. You could argue that maybe Rorschach's one joke is, like, attempt at humor, but he says it's super gruff, and, that's and it's at a funeral. It's in the novel. Yeah, and it's in the novel, and it's at a funeral. It's not a joke. It's um, so morbid. So, you know, part of me is, like, I wish that a movie like this would exist today where they would do a superhero movie that didn't have humor and didn't have, like... It didn't have to be all yeah. lighthearted. Yeah, it'd be something different. So, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you on the next Junk Drawer. Tune in next week. We have a special guest joining us. Surprise guest. Do you want to give any details of who the guest is or I leave it a mystery? leave it a mystery. It's just, it's someone very famous to us. <laughs> to this, it is our golden listener. Uh, how close are y'all? We are, I love him. I love him. Uh, I was hoping you were going to do the Michael Scott quote of, I wiped his butt. Is that close enough? <laughs> yes. Yes, that's close enough. It is my brother. Spoiler oh, alert. Oh, you did spoil I did. He is a big movie fan. He's been listening. He's been the only one who's had access to these. He's the only so, one who's been allowed to listen this far. So tune in. He's going to pick a doozy of a movie. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Junk Drawer Podcast. If there's a movie that you want to hear us talk about, and please reach out to us at askthejunkdrawer at gmail.com. See you next time.